How about an air hug for the pastor today? Come on, good to see you. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Well, get your Bibles. We are headed to the book of James, James chapter 2. But I want to set this up with a, a scripture from Proverbs, Proverbs 22, verse 3. It's a contrast between a wise man and a foolish man. It says, the wise person sees danger and avoids it, but a fool keeps going and gets into trouble. Now, this is what our series is about. It's about being a wise man, a wise woman, making good choices. Uh, I thought of a story to illustrate this. And when I was 19 in my glory days, I was going to college. I was on a scholarship playing football. And I was a kicker, by the way. I wasn't a tackle. It's a joke there, okay? Anyway, we're in this first room. We're in this room. First day that, that we got there, it's probably 90 guys in the room, and all the coaches were up front. And this one guy walks in the room trying to be cool, and he had a joint behind his ear. And uh, lo and behold, when he walked in front of the coach, that little marijuana joint fell on the ground. And the coach saw it, picked it up, looked at him, and said, "You're out of here. We're not going to stand for this." And just like that, all that guy's dreams was out the window because he made a foolish choice. The rest of his friends that were with him that day, they went on, they made the team, they got their degrees, and I'm sure their lives went like this. But a foolish choice has the potential to turn you into a pathway that you might never recover from. I mean, you know, sometimes we can with the goodness of the Lord, but we can avoid these stupid decisions, foolish decisions, by making wise decisions. And the question, the obvious question is, how do we make good decisions? And this is the thesis of this series, that we make good decisions by knowing what the Bible says and doing it. And with that, we continue the series, A Word to the Wise, from the book of James. We're looking at a verse by verse. Last week, we talked about two things. If you were here, we talked about the word of truth, the Bible, its impact upon our lives uh, we also talked about discrimination, hot topic in today's world. What in the world do we do with racial discrimination? How do we recognize it? What's a Christian response? Well, that's what we talked about last week. And today I want to continue the thought and I want to talk about the poor. It is a subject that all of us will somehow relate to in life. We will understand what the Bible says about the poor, why some people are poor, why even some Christians are poor. Is there perhaps some benefit or some nobility that could come from a season of poverty? We'll also talk about the rich. You'll see that God is the one. It's the source of riches. God provides good things for us. He gives them to, them to, gives them to, them to us to enjoy. But there's also a warning about riches. Riches have the power that they can turn your heart away from God. So I think it's something here for everyone today. And uh, let's jump in. James chapter 2, a word to the wise. Now, I want to pick up where we left off last week. When we talk about the poor, James, in four times in this short book, five chapters is the book, four times he speaks of the poor, usually in context of the rich. But last week where we left off, uh, let's pick up where we left off last week. He says uh, in verse 1, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious uh, Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Favoritism defined as thinking that some people are more important than others. 
Now, we broadened this a bit last week. We talked a lot about racial discrimination, that a person thinks they're better because of the color of their skin. But how many know you can be young and think you're better than an older person? Or you can be older and think your younger people are stupid. Uh, you can treat people based on which side of I-30 you live on or which side of state line you live on. And there's this sense that we pigeonhole people, that we kind of think you're good uh, or you're better than me or I'm better than you for all these external reasons. Um, but he illustrates it specifically about uh, material things. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting or your church service, mind you, this is written to Jewish Christians, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man comes in in filthy old clothes, and you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, sit on the floor by my feet. You could even say someone drives up in a Mercedes and you give them the best spot in front of the church and someone drives up in an old beat-up Ford pickup and you make them park by powerhouse. It's discriminating against people based on what we have. Notice what he says, verse 4, you have discriminated among yourselves. And notice the problem, you've become a judge with evil thoughts. And your thoughts are evil because you're making an assessment based on some external factor rather than on the heart of the character of a human being. So with that, we want to begin today's message. Uh, this first section is foundational. I'm going to call it a Christian response to those who are poor. Verse 5, uh, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, this next sentence is probably the most important sentence in the entire message today. He says, listen, brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. Now let's unpack that just a little bit. First, he's not saying that poor people are better than rich people. We'll get to that in a second. But he's saying being poor in the eyes of the world. What does that mean? If you go to apply for the loan, they want to know two things. How much money do you have and what property do you own? There is a scale to determine our worth or our value in the world system. But God sees us differently. I had the privilege this week to spend time with a missionary. By the way, his name is Scott. He's a missionary in Asia. He'll be doing our live stream on Wednesday night. 6.30 is worship, and then he's preaching after that. But uh, he came out to my house. We shared a sandwich together. And uh, uh, he drove up in a car. And I said, man, it's a nice car. And he kind of dropped his head a little bit and said, yeah, a friend of mine in Houston loaned this to me. And then later on, we were talking about where you're living, because he can't be in Asia now because of the lockdown. He says, yeah, we're living with my sister-in-law, and we've tried to get out, tell them we don't want to interfere, but they, well, they want us there. It's how they can help us. So it's seven of us in this little house. So here's a guy that's poor in, uh, in terms of cars and houses, but he's rich in his faith and the ultimate eternal sense about what's going to happen in his life. Uh, so, to be rich in faith, inheriting God's kingdom, and we do this because we love God. So, sometimes we make sacrifices in our material world because we love God. So, all this kind of fits together. Now, notice he's going to bring the rich into view here, but he's not talking about Christians, rich Christians in the church. He's talking about the rich in the world. Notice verse 6, you have dishonored the poor. And he says, is not the rich who are exploiting you, 
In other words, a rich person, they hire you, you work minimum wage and you work overtime and they don't pay you. They drag you into court. They're the ones that even though you're having a tough time, you lost your job, you lost your benefits, they're going to sue to get the car back. Uh, And they're the ones who are blaspheming the noble name to whom you belong. In other words, Jesus. So they belittle Jesus, they make fun of him, the very Savior that you love. But for some reason, these Christians were preferring them over, over the poor and we, we can kind of understand that. We perhaps live there. He says this then. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Now, love your neighbor as yourself, it's found in the book of Leviticus, Old Testament. But when Jesus was asked, what's the second greatest commandment in all the Bible? Jesus, without hesitation, said, love your neighbor as yourself. So what he's saying is, is when you welcome someone that's different from you, be they the color of their skin, their age, uh, economic issues. When you love someone that's different from you, you are fulfilling this great royal law or the law of King Jesus. But notice verse 9. If you show favoritism, that is, if you demean the poor, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. So let's, let's build a little foundation. I want to pause here and I want to kind of broaden this conversation a bit and talk about a little bit about what the Bible says about wealth and about poverty. Uh, first, let's begin with being poor. Being poor doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically spiritual. You know, the Bible did say, if you're poor in the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith. But how many know being rich in faith is a choice? Um, I know a lot of poor people who are mad. <laughs> they're mad at God, they're mad at the world, and they feel like they're owed a living. Just because you're poor doesn't mean that you're going to be close to God. But I want you to hear this. A time of financial stress can make you reach out to God like no other time. If you've got everything's going great, the debit card's working and the credit card's working and you can pretty much live your life, you can really live like you don't need God. But wait until you lose a big contract and then you can't make your mortgage payment. How many know you get on your knees and pray? How many know something big, a big piece of equipment breaks down, you (laughs) forgot to insure it, you're going to be seeking God for help. Maybe you lost your job or maybe they cut you back in this virus and your little girl wants to be a cheerleader. The only problem is it's $800 to buy a cheerleading uniform. That's going to make you pray and seek God. And I want to suggest to you that dependence on God is a good thing. And when none of us like to go through poverty or, or, or financial struggles. But when you are, don't just beg God to get you out as quick as he can. See the value that you can connect with God and draw close to God. Uh, Dependence on God is a good thing. Here's another one. Some Christians are poor in suffering because they love God. Some Christians are poor because they choose His ways rather than the ways of the world. Maybe you're a Christian and you, you, you lose a contract because you wouldn't give a bribe under the table. Uh, maybe you're like my friend Scott who would love to own his own truck or his own car and have his own house. We were, but you don't. You follow the Lord. Well, there's, there's value in that. But some Christians today in the world in which we live, particularly in the nation of Ethiopia today, uh, Boko Haram is persecuting Christians mercilessly. We showed a picture last week how some Christians that had their heads literally cut off and they made a video and they posted it beforehand. Uh, this is not new. Hebrews 10.34, it happened to believers in the New Testament. 
when all you owned was taken from you because they were a Christian. The world took it away. The government confiscated it. You accepted it with joy because you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Let me give you another, to kind of round out this picture. Let me say this. Riches are not bad. Can you say that with me? Riches are not bad. How many would like a little more in the riches column? The rest of you liars out there. Come on. Everybody would. Let me read you a scripture. Riches can be evidence of God's blessing in our life. They can be used for personal enjoyment and the kingdom work. Remember this, Deuteronomy 8.18. It says, remember the Lord your God. It is He who gives you the power to... Yeah, now how many would like some of that power? Sure, sure we would. Because you can just... Money is... How many know money is not good or bad? Money has the potential, though, to do some good things with it or can get you in big trouble. But God is the source of blessing. If God blesses you, don't ever feel guilty. You know, ha have you ever, I don't know what, bought, a, bought something nice and uh, uh, it was from a nice fancy store and somebody saw it and they said, oh, what a pretty dress. And the first thing you said was, I got it on sale. Well, you don't have to tell them you got it on sale. You don't have to be arrogant about it. But listen, when God puts things in our hand, 1 Timothy 6 says God gives us things to enjoy. But we want to enjoy it responsibly. Because there's a caveat that goes with riches, and I want to read it. In my opinion, 1 Timothy 6, uh, I'll read a portion of it, but it is the, the most balanced portion of Scripture about money and material things in the Bible. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, it's a warning. He says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. In other words, this longing to be this rich, it's called lust. It's called greed. It will make you do things that you wish you would have never done. It will make you embezzle money. It will make you tell a lie on a contract. It will make you do something to, to, to get the bid or whatever. But it can pull you in a ditch. Verse 10 warns us, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, money is not evil. If you think your money is evil, please, after the service, give it to me. I will be happy to take that filthy mammon off of your hands. Money is not evil, but it, but, but it can corrupt us. And he repeats himself, some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. In other words, money can pull you away from God. I don't know what Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Epstein is dead, but I mean, he, he had so much money he could do anything he wanted to, and his money channeled him into perversion, and he pulled his friends along with it, and now their life is filled with shame, how much good they could have done. Now, let's continue in this broadening, helping the poor. It's a theme throughout the Bible, and let me read you just kind of several passages, one Old Testament and three new, about how people would use their money uh, and God honored it to help people that were in need. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, it says, When you're kind to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord. And what will the Lord do? He rewards you for what you've done. This idea of being kind to the poor. 
it was exemplified throughout the writings to Jewish believers. You will see constantly people were poor. When people would come into a village, they didn't have a Holiday Inn or they didn't have a, you know, a Hilton Garden Express. People would hospitality, bring them in their home. They would offer them something to eat. It was a different world that we lived in. But the Jewish people were constantly encouraged to share and to help. Don't charge interest to those that are poor. You know, when they would glean their fields, they would say, look, leave some grain for the poor. Leave some grapes for the poor. Uh, but listen to what Jesus said. And this is kind of a, an interesting scripture that uh, I must confess I don't know that I've ever done. Jesus said, when you give a banquet, you, you didn't say that very loud. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have your buddies over and, and do what you do. But somewhere in there, Jesus said, when you're celebrating, bring poor people in, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. You think, well, how in the world could, they ble- could I be blessed? <laughs> They're not going to bring any food to eat. I'd have to supply it. They're not going to bring me a present. It's a different kind of blessing. Jesus said, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, every act of kindness that you show, maybe you have a neighbor on your street that has COVID and you've just been bringing some food and putting it on their doorstep. Maybe there's an elderly person that lives on your street or in your neighborhood and once a week when you make food, you bring it by their house. I mean, no, it's hard enough making it through life if you're married and you've got your spouse with you. But how about if you're old and your spouse dies? I want to tell you, it would be a pretty tough thing in the Miller household if Linnell went to heaven and left me here. I mean, I can make it now, but I, I would hope you'd bring me more than a can of sardines. Are you, are you with me today? Um, Jesus said we'd be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now listen to this one. This one's interesting. Peter, James, and John, the head of the church in Jerusalem, speaking to Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And here's what Paul said. He said the only thing they asked us to do, now think about that, of all they could have talked about in the Old Testament and Jesus and having seen Jesus and everything, the only thing they said was to help the poor. And then Paul said something I was very, uh, I really wanted to do. Well, maybe this is, a, is, a, is, is where we start in asking God to help give us a change of heart. Lord, would you help me have a heart that I really want to help poor people? That I don't do it just as an obligation or because the preacher tells me I should. But let me find joy in it. And I, I must confess again, uh, my wife, I think, gets more joy. She, she's the more generous one uh, of, of the two of us. Yesterday, when our house and uh, we were at home, and she said, uh, yeah, so-and-so said they were doing something for some of the kids at school, and they're in a poor school district, and they wanted some help. I, I, I want to give them $60. And I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll think about that, which is code for I don't want to do that. And I got convicted and I said, honey, I'm sorry. Give that money. And then I, I prayed, Lord, help me have more of a generous heart. Are, are you with me today? That I don't do what I do out of obligation, but out of, out of a heart of, uh, of generosity. Uh, listen to Acts chapter 11, one last one. Agabus predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming on the entire Roman world. Uh, and all the believers in Antioch, listen to this, They decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. 
Now, why would they do that? It was because as the Gentile Christian, they recognized the debt that they owed to the Jewish Christian. You see, Jesus was a Jew. Uh, he, it, Jerusalem was the center of the gospel. It was the launching place of the church. And that's where Christianity found its, its beginning. And uh, they wanted to help and they wanted to say thank you. Our church supports a, uh, uh, a church in a... Uh, Israel, uh, $500 a month. We send to a congregation there. We've helped them build things. I've asked our, our secretary, financial secretary, send that, write that check first. Let's honor uh, the nation of Israel. But this is just kind of giving in the Bible. Now, let me turn the coin over and, and let's talk about um, uh, some biblical conditions for the poor to receive help. Now, first of all, poverty in America... Uh, I read today its average is $26,000. If you're at $26,000 or below, you're, that's the poverty line in America. But you know if you're at $26,000, you are richer than most of the world. Most of the world today lives in horrible poverty. Poverty in America is not that you cannot have a 52-inch television. You know, you're in poverty because you only have a 32-inch television. Are you with me today? Somehow we have to adjust our thinking a little bit. When Jesus told us to pray for daily bread and provision, he was talking about food and shelter and clothing. So as we speak about poverty, think about in that context, not somebody that has more than you. Because there's always someone that has more than us. I mean, understand that. And we have been, the last 50 years in America, we have been living in an ever-increasing uh, entitlement mentality towards our government and all of us at some level have come to expect whatever the government's doing we want a little bit of it well I want you to kind of factor that and first of all let me say this I am so happy I live in America that we have a welfare system that if you are 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 impoverished if you don't have a home to live in a government housing can be made available if you don't have food to eat, food stamps can be made available to you. If you need medical care, you can go in the emergency room and they'll treat your emergency condition. How many of you can say, thank God we live in America today? Sure. But that system can be abused. Now, let me start with the first biblical condition for the poor to receive help. And the first one is this. Able-bodied people are expected to work. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. Uh, Paul said, even when we were with you, we gave you this command, strong word, those unwilling to work. You say, man, that's awful mean, isn't it? No. What the Bible is trying to do is it's trying to teach us personal responsibility because from personal responsibility comes that sense of satisfaction and personal reward from our efforts. Can I tell you, friend, when you give somebody something and don't expect them to do anything in return, it debases and humiliates them. I have seen this firsthand. We built a church on an Indian reservation in uh, uh, South Dakota. And uh, they told me the story. They said, we used to live in the valley down there. And, and the government came in and built a dam. So they took our land and they built us little government housing up on the hill. And because they felt bad for us or they'd taken our land or whatever, now they pay us so much money every month and they give us free medical care. The only problem, we have like 60% unemployment. We have some of the highest suicide rates in America. The wintertime, the snow gets six or eight feet high. 
And we just sit in our houses and drink beer all day and become alcoholics. Because someone has taken from them this wonderful opportunity for work. And the Bible, listen, if you're not able-bodied, thank God that there's care for you. But for the able-bodied, the Bible expects us to work not as punishment, but as a way to be able to build our lives and enjoy life. Uh, you, you got real quiet with me there. I know what I'm saying is opposite of, uh, of the world today. Right now, they're debating in our Congress and our president the next stimulus package for the coronavirus. Because for, and the debate is uh, $600 a week. If you lost your job during the corona, the federal government pitched in an extra $600 a week. That's $2,400 a month. If you take that, plus your state unemployment and, 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 and maybe you're working part-time, uh, you don't have much incentive to go back to a lower-paying job. So some in Congress are saying, wait, we need to get people working so the economy goes. And other people are saying, but I want to buy their vote. Well, so we'll see what happens as we go. But all of us... Well, um, <laughs> Look at number two. Family members have first responsibility to help their own. This is missing in the world today. 1 Timothy 5, 8, whoever does not care for his own relatives has turned against the faith and is worse than someone who doesn't believe in God. One of the worst things that's happened to our nation is the destruction of the family. I saw a movie, uh, I mentioned it last week, McFarland, very inspiring show, Kevin Costner and, and some uh, athletes, some teen runners, uh, the Hispanic young men. But uh, and, and he went to eat with the, in the home of the Hispanic uh, uh, family, and two elderly ladies were there. It was his mom and his wife's mom. And they were taking care of the kids, and the family was taking care of them. But yet we have totally destroyed the concept of family in America today, and the government wants to be the family. I heard presidential candidate Biden say he wants to spend more money on retirement homes and more money on early childhood care so mom and dad can spend more time in the workplace. Now that may be good for the GDP, but that's not good for the family. And right now our world is so broken and fractured, how in the world could we put it together? Anyway, but that's a biblical principle that you might seek to, uh, to live. I hope my kids are listening to that, by the way. Let me kind of round this out. Stop doing things that lead to poverty. Um, I don't mind helping people, but if people are doing, doing the same thing and they're getting the same stupid result, I, I don't want to keep empowering them. Let me tell you just a few things. Some of them are kind of funny here, but they're real. They're all from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20 says, if you love sleep, you'll end up in... Huh. Keep your eyes open, you'll have plenty to eat. You say, well, Pastor, that crimps my style. I like to stay up till 2 or 3. Some of the finest people that I know are out at 3 in the morning, and then I have to sleep until 11 or 12, and I just skip breakfast because breakfast is unneeded. Anyway, I start my day with lunch. You can't, you can't have what you want like that. you got to get out of bed. Y'all are just too quiet. I don't know what you're thinking about now. 
Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Robert has a roofing business. Let's say he'd like to save some money, and the guy that he's doing this big job for will never crawl up on the roof, so he tells his guys, don't put down three inches of stuff, put down an inch and a half worth of stuff. And he goes up there, it looks great, he takes pictures and everything. Well, the only problem is, or maybe he does it on the government contract, the only problem is the roof starts leaking and they do an inspection of it and they find out he didn't meet the terms of the contract. Now not only does he have to redo it, but now there's a lawsuit coming against him. Shortcuts get you in trouble. Proverbs 28 says this, greedy people try to get rich quick, but don't realize they're headed for how many have either seen on the internet or, or nailed to a telephone pole, uh, uh, work 10 hours a week and make $1,000 a week? How many have seen that? How many have sent in the, how many, have, don't, don't raise your hand there. But when you make the call, somebody working on commission trying to hustle you will say, man, listen, this is the hottest thing I have ever done. And you know, it only costs $159 to get the book, but it's the best $159 I've ever spent. And you thought, shoot, man, I can spend $159 and get $1,000 a week. That's $48,000 a year. And then I can prove that preacher is wrong because I can sleep till 11 o'clock and still have a brand new car. The only problem is they were conning you. You can't get something for nothing. There's no free lunch in this world. That's why the people statistically that tend to make it are the ones that invest the most in their formative years, learning their career, being mentored on the job, going to school, going to tech school, getting a graduate degree, doing whatever to learn to get themselves up here so they can make some real change. I'm preaching better than you're amening today. Proverbs 13 says this, if you ignore criticism, you'll end up in poverty. But if you accept correction, you'll be honored. What does that mean? Your boss tries to tell you how to do it, and you say you know a better way, and he fires you. And the next job, the same thing happens again. Or you stay in the same job, and you never get promoted because you just have to do it your way. See, these are things that lend to poverty. And the last one, I'll just read it, no comment. Proverbs 6, 26, a prostitute will bring you to poverty. I think we know where we're going on that. So what was it? What, what are these foolish things? Loving sleep, hasty shortcuts, getting rich quick, ignoring criticism. Uh, and then, of course, the prostitute or the pornography sites. Let me, let me get practical here because I have, I have a real purpose for this message today. I hope you do something in your life from here going forwards to help people that are poor. Whether you do it in the church or some other way, I just hope it's a part of the fabric of your life. Let me tell you a couple things that we do. We have these little cans that are just called Haiti cans. Uh, there should be some in the lobby, this big can up front. People just drop in some change. We just put in spare change, and Linnell and I... Uh, uh, usually manage a couple a year. I don't know anywhere else that you can feed and educate a child for 30 cents a day. But our missionary in Haiti is able to do that, and I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to do. Uh, we have a benevolence fund at church. We help people. Uh, people give towards that. We have a missions fund. Anytime that you give your tithe or undesignated money, we put 13% into a missions fund. That's like our church tithe. And a lot of that we give to help people. 
Uh, just last uh, week, I told you that we sent uh, $5,000 to Christians in Afghanistan and 5000 to Christians in Nigeria, uh, not to build a church building, but because, number one, the Nigerians were being persecuted and losing their homes. The Afghanis were hungry and they didn't have any food because of the corona thing. 50 bucks a month feeds a, 50 bucks feeds a family for a month. The month before that, I think we gave 10000 to Mexico to the impoverished people there and 5000 to Haiti. Why am I telling you this? Is This is what we do. This is what church is about. It's not just about us. It's about the world that's in need. And together, we can do some pretty big things for the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let's wrap up with James's words. Consistent obedience to all God's commands is our goal. Now, how many know God is a forgiving and merciful God, and we're all grateful for it? But there's a standard God wants us to reach for. It's a standard of, I don't like the word, but I'm going to use it, of perfection, of maturity, of, uh, of, of hitting the mark, of batting a thousand, if that's possible. Uh, let me read what James says. James, now, after this talk on the poor, he says, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said don't commit, this is God, don't commit adultery, also said don't commit murder. Well, if you don't commit adultery but you do commit murder, you're a lawbreaker. It's like saying, you may not commit adultery, you may not murder, but if you don't care for poor people, you're a lawbreaker. In other words, it's just as important to God that we help other people as we're able to, as it is for these other moral commands. Now, verse 12, I really want you to pause with me. He says, speak and act. In other words, not just the words that I say, but my actions towards the poor are going to be... I don't like that one. Let's... Does anybody have some scissors? We could just cut that out of the Bible. Speak and act as those that are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Now listen, verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. What's he talking about? He's talking about our help of the poor. Now, I want to, I'm gonna, uh, let me read you a scripture. You see, he put, James puts discrimination and this prejudice and all that on the same level of adultery and murder. It's just the standard of God. And God will give mercy to us. When we're kind to people that are in need. I'm going to read you something Jesus said. And this is very shocking scripture. But, but I owe it to you. Luke 16 verse 19. Jesus said there's a, a certain rich man. Who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. Who lived each day in luxury. You could even say. He lived in a gated community. He drove a. You pick a brand new. Uh, whatever. Uh, Mercedes or whatever you think, the top of the line, you know, a maxed out Ford pickup, whatever. He had one. He had a bike in his, in his garage. And I mean, everything was just rolling for this guy. And don't forget now, none of that stuff is bad. You know, the scripture says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. You know, God's the one who gives us the ability to obtain wealth. First Timothy 6 says he gives us things to enjoy. So don't ever feel like having things or rich things is what makes a person bad. It's not. It's when those things capture our hearts and we become selfish. Do you know you can never have enough money to do everything you want to do? Ever. You say, ah, uh, disagree, preacher. 
If I had a little more than I would now, I'd be happy. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Let's just say you hit the super-duper jackpot, and you make so much money, you buy an island in the Caribbean. I mean, and you build this big house in the Caribbean where all your family, well, some of your family can come, and you can, and you, I mean, you just build this Taj Mahal, or you buy a mountain in Colorado, you know, that has no road access to it, turkeys and elk everywhere, okay? Well, then you got that house where the only problem is you got all these bedrooms and, you know, it takes your family three hours, four hours to drive up the mountain, so surely we need a helicopter. So you go ahead and you get you a helicopter, and before you know it, though, you realize that helicopter's got to make three trips, and now we've got to wait on dinner, you know, because everybody's not here, so you need to buy a bigger helicopter. Are you with me today? If we live by this sense that a little more was what will make me happy, we'll never get there. We got to start today. Well, this guy and this story didn't do it. And now look at verse 20, the contrast. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table. The dogs would come and lick his open sores. You know how you clean your plates in the garbage disposal? Lazarus would have loved to have eaten it. Finally, the poor man died. Just like we will. He's carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham, Abraham's bosom, at the heavenly banquet. Now, he didn't go to heaven. This was called paradise. It was the holding place of the dead before Jesus was resurrected. He didn't go there because he was poor. He obviously was a believer in God. But notice what happened. Look at verse 23 or 22. The rich man also died and was buried. He went to the place of the dead, Hades. There, he's in torment, not because he was rich, but because he refused to follow God and refused to do God's commandments. He's in this place of torment, and he said, please let Lazarus come and dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. I don't think that's a metaphor. I think that's a real place. And I say that as a sobering thought today, that hopefully all of us, We'll err on the side of generosity. Come on, give the Lord a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Now, let me wrap it up. And uh, 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 this is kind of a what's in it for me kind of deal. Beyond obedience to God's word, in other words, we should do it. Why should I help the poor? Now, I'm going to read a scripture that you may have never heard in your life. And it's this. One day I may need help and I'll reap what I sow. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 8 said. Paul said, right now you have plenty, and you can help those that are in need. But later, everybody say later. Later, later they'll have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. What does that mean? Now, that may, that may not mean that one day the impoverished people of India may help us in America if and when our nation goes bankrupt. But what it does mean is it means that the God in heaven is watching what we do. And God will bless us when we bless other people. Let me underscore that. God will bless me when I bless others. Listen to Proverbs 19. Being kind to the poor is like lending to the Lord. Say this with me. He will reward you for what you've done. Proverbs 28 says, whoever gives to the poor will have everything he needs but the one who ignores the poor 
will receive many curses. All that saying is this, friend. God in heaven watches and he'll bless us when we bless people in need. Give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet? And we're going to close with a, a final song. We're going to have an opportunity for prayer. But before you think about Cracker Barrel or whatever's on the stove, don't turn me off just yet. I want to ask you today, what are you going to do with what you've heard? Next time we're in James, we're going to read that James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a, be a doer of it. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about today? Because I, I just simply right now in this moment, just close your eyes just a second. And if your spouse is with you, just take their hand. And, and, and try as best you can to make a decision. What am I going to do to start helping the poor? Am I going to help those poor kids in Haiti? Am I just going to make a place in an offering for a benevolence offering? Or am I going to start making a dinner with that elderly man on my street? Am I going to maybe sacrifice a little of my extra money and give it to that poor family that's buying school supplies and school shoes right now? It's one thing to think that, well, let the kids learn on the Internet. Well, some kids don't have a computer. I don't know what it is that the Lord may be speaking to you, but I just want to encourage you, say, yes, Lord, I want to do it. Not because I have to, but because it's a privilege to be able to be entrusted with care for those that God cares about. Come fill us, Holy Spirit. We asked it earlier. Fill us again with the knowledge of your will. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing this last song. I want to invite our prayer team to come to the front right now. If you'll come and stand here. And uh, here's, here's kind of the deal. Uh, let me encourage you when you leave, please social distance. If you've got your mask, please put it on as you leave. But uh, uh, you can use these front exits. Kind of pace yourself as you go out. We've got our little offering containers there. If you brought your tithe or offering, uh, same at the back door. Don't forget if you're a teacher, a full-time teacher, we want to get you a gift card. It's in the lobby there and a, a guest card. If you fill out a guest card, uh, you can drop it off in the lobby as well. But as people are leaving, if you want someone to pray for you, just stay seated. Sit back down and someone will come there and they'll pray for you. But let me suggest that there is arguably... The most important prayer that can be prayed in this moment is not a prayer over a problem, but it's a prayer over a need for God. Maybe you're here today and maybe God has really touched your heart. Maybe God has made you aware of the burden of your sin and you need God's forgiveness. Maybe you've become aware that money and things will never make me happy. Only God can make me happy. You know, I, I, I'm a lot like you. I was raised in church, but I mean, no, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Mom made me go, and I always had respect for the Bible, but it's like if that cross represents Jesus, which it does, it's like we live our life. See, the Bible says we're sinners. We've sinned against God. Adam started the mess, and we all followed track, and our sin separates us from God, and it's like we come into this world going our own way, and everything's about us. We may be really bad people or we may be pretty good people, but God is, is really not in the center of our life. And every once in a while, we kind of stop. 
and we look back at the cross and maybe we pray. We pray because we're in trouble. We have a need. But then there's a decision to be made. Am I going to continue following the Lord or am I going back my way? And this is a defining moment that maybe you, you are at today. That you want to commit your life to follow Jesus Christ. It is the greatest decision a person could ever make. When you pray and ask Christ to forgive you, and you invite Him to come in your life and be your Savior and Lord, and listen, when you turn to follow Him, something incredible happens that changes you on the inside. Jesus called it being born again, where God literally comes in your life. I'm telling you, friend, happened to me August 15th, 1976, in a Navy boot camp. I, I asked Jesus to forgive me, and I put my trust in Him. Maybe that's what you need to do today. And if you feel like I'm talking right at you today, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through me. I'm going to encourage you to act on that. Let us pray for you. This is Pastor Travis. He's one of our senior associates here. If you want to commit your life to Christ today, if you've gotten away from God and want to come back, let me encourage you, during this song or afterwards, come up and just ask Him to pray with you. Not only will He pray, but He'll give you something that will help you in your Christian life. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. You're not joining the church. We're just simply helping you get connected to Jesus. Go ahead and sing our last song. Listen, thanks for being here today. I love you. After this song, we'll dismiss. Sing that out together so here I am. service. Uh, we're going to remain here and worship with you as long as you'd like to hang out with us. Uh, our prayer team's down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, all the, the exits are open. Feel free to be dismissed at any time, and we just pray that you'd have a blessed day.